<laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not the kind of music that comes from Minneapolis, Minnesota. No. <laughs> Would you be kind enough, sir, please, to introduce me to your friend? Let's start with the bass player here. Andre Simone. Andre. <laughs> the man who escaped behind keyboard. Matt Fink. Nice to see you. Man on uh, drums. Bobby Z. And the gentleman over here. Des Dickerson. And lastly, on keyboards. Dale Chapman. Hello, Dale. Nice to have you. Let's sneak over here saying you made a couple of demonstration in records when you were a teenager. You're barely more than that now, are you? Nineteen. Nineteen. Well, you got another year to go before you graduate. Did somebody tell me you played every instrument on this album? Is that correct? Maybe. No, that's it. You're very shy. Modest. The following program contains adult language and mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. One. Welcome back to tonight's video profile of sexy superstar Prince. Nightlight is brought to you by Miller Highlight. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. Prince, the controversial rock artist and film star, plays provocative music and his sexually charged images test society's standards. Today, the blockbuster movie Purple Rain is bringing the 26-year-old enigmatic star to the attention of national audiences. Set against the subculture of the Minneapolis music scene, Purple Rain tells the story of a struggling musician searching for love and self-awareness. Much of Purple Rain is loosely based on Prince's own life. Born Prince Rogers Nelson in Minneapolis on June 7, 1958, the real Prince resembles the kid in Purple Rain. Both are the son of a musician, and like his film counterpart, family discord led Prince to take refuge in music. As a teenager, he left home to live with bass player Andre Simone, and the two soon launched the Minneapolis Sound. Tonight, we'll trace the origins of Prince's music from his Minneapolis boyhood to his Hollywood start. Everybody, welcome to One Song Each. I'm Illegal Matching, and with me is Diablo Frank. And fix it. And today we're going to talk about (laughs) Michael Jackson? I don't know, dude. The noises are kind of similar. I can't make the noises right. Are you trying hard? Are you even recording yet, dude? Yeah. Ah, shit. I apologize. All right, Frank, this is your deal, man. So you you got to start it here. I've been wanting to do a Prince memorial pretty much since before we even were doing One Song Each. I think at one point in time, there's going to be an episode of Rolled Spine. And it's just, A, processing all the music that the guy created, and also just timing. It it was always difficult to get all of us together to watch something or listen to something to do this. And I finally decided, okay, we're going to do it this year, even if we have to do it over the internet. Plus, I finally started doing stuff with our YouTube page. And while it's a little tricky putting together playlists, I'd never done it before, I managed to put together a playlist that covers his earliest years through to about 87, basically the time that he was working with the band The Revolution, because he's just got too large of a catalog to try to do everything and do it any kind of justice. We're already going to be somewhat casual in our look at Prince, but to try to do it in just one episode was just going to be too much.
much to, to try to take on. We've got some varying degrees of Phantom 2. Mac, to my knowledge, is in no way terribly familiar with Prince or particularly a fan. That is accurate. And then Fix It, I know, has a fondness for a lot of his music, but I don't know how deep that goes. Uh, relatively deep. Okay, good. Balls deep, balls deep. <laughs> All right. Well, appropriate, especially on the Prince podcast. So I, for now, if you don't mind, I mean, what do you guys know about Prince as a human being, though? Like how he came up and things like that. He's from Minnesota, right? Correct. Minneapolis. He has, a, he has a fondness for purple. Actually, his Correct. favorite color was yellow. Well, Could have fooled me on that. No, it, I, you, I, I know the purple you, became closely associated with him, but the fact is, I remember years ago hearing that he actually was yellow. Can you back this up? Or is this like uh, a Frank moment? Well, I, I can't source it, I'm afraid. So you'll just have oh. to do that research for us, Mr. Fix-It, ball-busting motherfucker. <laughs> just say it, man. Just can't be throwing things out there, man. I, actually, uh, I know, the podcast, that's kind of what we do. I know that he cleanses himself in the uh, waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> I think it was and more Apollonia, though. Made a it? hell of a pancake. Yeah, there's that. He he uh, whipped up on Charlie Murphy and uh, basket, pick up basketball game and then made him pancakes. And, you know, if people were apparently surprised at that, but it turns out this guy played basketball throughout junior high and high school. He was always a notable player. And as it happens, that's how he met the future Jimmy Jam, noted producer. Yeah, I know Jimmy Jam. He did a lot of Janet Jackson. Right, right. He was one of the guys behind the Minneapolis sound that, of course, Prince popularized and kind of took over a good chunk of the 80s. Do you want to know another Prince factoid? Sure. He used to play pickup games at, uh, I don't know where the fuck did uh, Kevin McHale, the former Boston Celtic, Boston Celtic and uh, NBA Hall of Famer. If he played at the University of Minnesota or Minnesota or uh, uh, Michigan State or the University, I don't I don't know where he went to school. Up there in one of those states where they say, oh gosh. But anyway, Wisconsin. he would come out and play pickup games with the college basketball team and he said that he would like wreck shop even in the college basketball players and these dudes would go on to be in like the NBA and they were like Prince was legitimately a fantastic basketball player even at his height and this is like an NBA Hall of Famer who especially these old school Hall of Famer dudes they don't like to give credit to anybody and he's like Prince could play basketball like no bones about it it was kind of funny it was kind of hilarious I heard that he was a regular at a lot of the uh, NBA games like he was always courtside I don't know probably yeah I remember seeing the thing where they're showing him on all these different games where he's sitting there watching and knew all the players I thought it was pretty interesting well I mean it's not terribly uncommon but he likes basketball he goes back he's rich he goes basketball game. Yeah. sounds good right getting a little bit more into the, the biographical stuff both of his parents were in a musical group called the prince rogers trio it was the pseudonym his father had taken his father was a piano player his mom sang both of his parents were seventh-day adventists which is a weird place to be coming at the music scene from according to prince his mother was the, the source of his wild side and his dad was always very serene they were together until he was around age 10 got a divorce mom remarried fairly quickly prince never got along with his stepdad bounced back and forth between the two households before one night his father threw him out over something some people say that they think he got caught with a girl and maybe because of the whole seventh day adventist thing that was enough to warrant it but his dad basically threw him out never let him come back home again he was calling his dad on the payphone crying to come home it wasn't allowed and basically swore then he would never cry again and that's when he started living with his buddy dre later to become andre simone the bass player for the revolution was in and out of bands throughout his teenage years before finally getting a record deal but he got a record deal as a solo artist he could play 27 instruments I think uh, somebody had played one of his demos for either a record executive or a potential manager and they were wondering who the band was and the guy was like there is no band he's playing all the instruments and they were so impressed that he, they eventually they got him a record contract but also because he was so small and he had such a fragile sound to him that high-pitched falsetto his manager wanted to kind of protect him he felt like he was somebody who needed to be guided through the music scene although to my mind he was something of a predator because once he was signed to Warner Brothers he burned through a three record deals advance
advance on his first record, essentially. It cost about $160,000 to produce his first record. That's equivalent to over half a million dollars today. What year was that? This would have been, let's see, 1977 70s? was when he was recorded. Yeah, I was going to say 70s. So that, that gets us to our, our first song, the only minor hit that came off his first album for you, Soft and Wet. Yeah, you guys listened to this song? Yes, I did. Yeah, that was the first one, yeah. What'd you think of it? Had you expo- been exposed to that song before, Fix It? No, I'd never heard it before. Apparently, I- I'd forgotten about this, but in the movie Unbreakable, the M. Night Shyamalan flick, Robin Wright's character tells her husband in the movie, Bruce Willis, that Soft and Wet is her favorite song of all time. And it took me years before I ever got around to actually listening to the track. That's super random. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, unbreakable reference <laughs> lord i did not see that happening what, in a prince podcast what did you think about it fix um that was the first tune on the on their track list right on the playlist yeah yeah it was kind of weird it was uh i don't know i wasn't a huge fan of it i thought it was just kind of weird what about you i love this song you want to know why go ahead this was like oh shit i forgot not forgot but i remember i've always said that beck's sex laws album is totally prince influenced yeah oh, this I- song you could fucking insert this song straight into beck's sex laws album and it would like wouldn't even skip a beat i was actually thinking today how is matt going to respond to this album and i'm feeling or, or this collection of songs i'm like the one thing that gives me hope that he's going to be into it is because he loves beck's midnight vultures so much and that is absolutely beck's prince album so yeah. i'm glad to hear that you were on the same wavelength on that then and if anybody here is a prince fan and hasn't listened to midnight vultures just listen to sex laws first <laughs> probably the only single on the album right uh, uh no they had, they had some other ones i'm trying to remember offhand though i wasn't i'm not prepared for a back podcast <laughs> okay well we can do that next uh, but, but i know that, that there was at least a couple or three singles off of that one because it was a reasonably successful album uh, i guess so i guess so anyway it's so the whole album he's doing prince the whole album uh it's phenomenal the whole album is uh, it's incredible but yeah this album was like uh, that song when it like just started i was like oh my god that's right this is fucking midnight vultures this is sex laws this is everything you know what i mean everything's super hyper sexually charged and it, the beats are the same the cadence is the same and i was like okay i think i'm going to like this playlist mixed business. so yeah i like i like the song mixed business also got airplay <laughs> Together and they all the lesbians scream. 
there, showing that the third single off of the album was Nicotine and Gravy, which is probably my favorite on the album, and I think the most Prince-like song on the album, but I don't remember that getting any airplay, at least here in Houston, but I remember Mixed Business got some rotations here. If you say so, Deborah is the best song on that album. Thank you very much. <laughs> any other thoughts on Soft and Wet, though? Uh, I have nothing. I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah. It's a solid enough tune. I, I, for me, it probably wouldn't have made a cut if it wasn't on that first album. Tried to find something else on there. The title track for you, curiously similar to Childish Gambino's This is America. I don't know if maybe that's a gospel thing and I'm just too white to catch it. I would say there's only really two to three solid tracks on that album. It wasn't great and it felt fairly compromised. It's like Prince only coming at you with like 25% of his princeness. But we can move on to the next one, his self-titled Prince, which managed to sell 3 million copies. It made it to number 22 on Billboard, number three on the R&B charts. The big hit off of that one was I Want to Be Your Lover. Uh, it came out on August 24th, 1979. It managed to sell 2 million copies as a single. It went to number 11 on Billboard, number one on the Soul charts for two weeks running. And it was dedicated to, or not dedicated to, but inspired by Prince's working with Patrice Russian, who is probably best known for her song Forget-Me-Nots, which was sampled for the Men in Black song that Will Smith would do decades later. There were also another couple of singles, but the one that everybody remembers wait, is I Want to Be wait, Your wait, Lover. Wait, Getting jiggy with it? <laughs> no, no. Men in Black. Galaxy Defenders. You know that one. Yeah. Well, it's based off of Forget Me Nots, which was itself a hit back in the 70s. You know Forget Me Nots, right? Oh, here come the men in black. Yeah. I thought you were getting jiggy with it. No, no. Well, a little jiggy, a little side jig. So anyway. just don't understand? I think I'm going to go back over to Mr. Fix-It because I'm pretty sure I Want to Be Your Lover is one that he's a little bit more in his wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. Then, then in the video, isn't he videoed playing all the instruments? May well be. And he's definitely more Prince-like. Because, I mean, in, in the first album, that cover, which I think is a nice photograph, but not necessarily the most flattering, he's got that enormous afro. It's, like, bigger than him. It feels like it's the black hole that's swallowing Prince Hole, where he looks more like the Prince that we know in that video. Well, he, has, he has a feather hair, right? sorry. I mean... 
mute that. Yeah, he's got the long, straightish hair. It's got yeah. a little bit of curl to it, but mostly it's straight. Wearing tight clothes, jeans. Definitely a little feminine, but more like 70s Leaf Garrett kind of feminine, not anything that would trigger anybody or anything at that time, yeah. at least. I think maybe the Johnny uh, Beer ring was... I love this fucking song, I love yeah. this fucking song. Well, go elaborate. Uh, I mean, this is where you're seeing where Prince is going to go with it, at least to me. If this came out before all the other stuff you made us listen to... Yeah, um, it's mostly chronological. I, I, I have, an, old, I have a, an aunt that's a little bit older than me, so they used to confuse us as siblings all the time, and she was my introduction to Prince. I remember hearing the shit out of this record at home, at her in her room, quite a bit. It's a fucking badass song, dude. And I think I remember your sister really digging it, too, because I think I got some of my Prince off of her. Really? And I, I think she it was either this one or If I Was Your Girlfriend. One of those two was, like, her favorite Prince song, or one of her very favorite Prince songs. I mean, this song is just like, I'm going to fuck you. Oh, yeah. I'm going to fuck you. There's, there's no way around I'm going to fuck you ready. softly. Yeah. I'm going to fuck her gently. What about you, Mac? Yeah, did you ever, had you ever heard the song before? I don't think so. Uh, you know what? A lot of these songs sound familiar, so that I've heard Well, they're very before. similar. They have a... Yeah, I, I, I think he's he's definitely got his sound, especially yeah. from this grouping. It didn't, it doesn't evolve terribly much, nor does the lyrical content. But no, I, I enjoyed this song quite a bit. There's an ACDC <laughs> quality to Prince where pretty much every single song is going to be about the fucking, with rare exceptions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The main difference is that Prince brings Jesus into the three-way, which is a little different. <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, uh, no, just... Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> Is it, it wasn't that later in his career though. Uh, well, well, we'll get there. Okay, I was about to say in the beginning. He, 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 if you watch the video, he fucking a lot. Like he's definitely uh, he fucking a lot. He has a rapacious sexual appetite. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So well, I mean, he had what vanity or the other one? Uh, uh, we could fill the entire podcast just listing his conquest. Yeah, his conquest. Yeah. Dude, just Although I don't know, just... I don't know if conquest is the right way to phrase it because they all, all the women that he was with, seemed like they had positive things to say about him. Even the ones that he really didn't do very right by. True. No, it's true. But That's they all true. seem to appreciate the time they spent with him. So I, they, he left them happy regardless. Okay. Any thoughts on the song, Matt? Without listening to it, I can't give you specifics other than that I listen to the song multiple times a day. Uh, so we he can, wants to be your lover. That's pretty much it. Huh? It's straightforward. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, Always love. I want to be the one you come for as part of a chorus that played on the radio over and over again. Beautifully subversive, especially for that time period. It's a long way from skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> so we'll move on to 1980s Dirty Mind. On his groundbreaking album, Dirty Mind, Prince, then only 19 years old, scorched his way through songs filled with sexual references. Imitating an image on his first album cover, Prince performed on stage clad only in bikini briefs and became a symbol of unbridled sexuality. This one made it to number seven on the black charts back when you could actually racialize the charts. In 2016, after he passed away, it managed to chart again. The, the album, I mean, reached 56. Pitchfork listed the album as its 87th best album of the 1980s. Slant placed it at its 53rd best album of the 80s. Rolling Stone put it at 18th best album of the 1980s, 204th best album of all time. The first single off of this one was Uptown. I did not put that on the playlist. Are all of you familiar with Uptown? No. Not without hearing it, sir. I'm so, I apologize. Uptown, another hit from Dirty Mind, brought together audiences of all different backgrounds and sexual tastes for one reason, to party. Prince sang the vocals and played all the instruments in the studio recording. However, in this performance video, his band consists of Andre Simone on bass, Des Deckerson on guitar, Lisa Coleman and Matt Fink on keyboards, and Bobby Z on drums. 
Uptown, it's a nice funk tune. Uptown is one of the various utopias that Prince has sung about where, you know, everybody's liberated, everybody's having getting the fuck on, and everybody's just content with themselves and able to be themselves. But I thought that it was a little bit too much of a straightforward funk song. I wanted something that better represented the album as a whole. So the one that I put on the playlist was Dirty Mind, which is obviously a much more risque song. And if you watch the video where he's prancing around in the trench coat, G-string, thigh highs, and nothing else, how yeah. did you guys respond to this one? Uh, my least favorite Prince song? The Dirty Mind? Yeah. Of the ones yeah. here or in general? Just in general so far. I mean, uh, I, yeah, there I, I, been one or two songs you picked that I was just like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I kind of agree. This, this wasn't uh, this wasn't my favorite on the playlist. I didn't watch the video. I built a Spotify playlist, so I didn't have to listen to so many commercials. So I, I, don't, I do not recall the video, sir. But uh, yeah, this track, it was okay, but I, I would find myself sort of zoning out during it. It's solid. I became familiar with this one sometime in the late 80s, early 90s. There was an episode of Night Flight that focused on France that did a retrospective. And it, it didn't have the earlier videos that we were looking at, but it did feature Uptown, which, by the way, was also the song that Prince played on Saturday Night Live during one of his only appearances there. as like his first big national exposure. The videos for both Uptown and Dirty Mind have him in that same outfit. Around this time, the Rolling Stones have asked him to open for them. It was a colossal failure. He would get out on stage dressed like this. They would throw F-bombs at him. They would throw drinks at him. They'd never managed to finish a set while they were opening for the Stones. It was the last time the group ever opened for anybody else. solid songs are decent but again neither Uptown nor Dirty Mind would have probably made it onto a playlist if I wasn't trying to give a representation of his career but Dirty Mind as an album is pretty interesting there's a number of good songs in there and also some very risque ones in particular you got Head singing about getting head. Specifically, he lures away the bride at her own wedding and accidentally comes on her gown. You've got Sister, which is exactly what it sounds like, him extolling the virtues of incest. There's also a song, When You Were Mine, but I'd really rather touch on that one at a later date because I think that we're going to have to look at the various covers that were done of Prince songs that ended up becoming bigger hits than they were under Prince. I think Dirty Mind is a solid album. I picked up a copy recently and I was playing it quite a few times. When I was listening to them as singles, they didn't work as well for me, but when you listen to them in the album content, Context, it does help. So is it almost like a con- like not maybe like a full on concept album, but a they all have album. They, right almost like a themed album, so that they sort all of. kind of they roll into each other maybe a little more. De- they depend on each other a little more than a traditional album. Exactly, would. exactly. And a lot and so many of the songs are about that sexual liberation to the the nth degree. Again, given the subject mm. matter, that it's almost like Prince had repressed himself for those first two albums. And my understanding is that when Prince showed up for this album, he decided that he was going to finally do an album that was more himself. People weren't.
weren't sure how to approach this album because it was so different from anything else that had been out there and so different from what he had done since the earlier material was so much more soft and romantic and this was so much more vulgar he brought in a lot more new wave influences with that album for me obviously I'm a new wave fan so it definitely gets me more interested than the more straightforward R&B stuff that he'd been doing on the previous two albums I will say that I, and I agree with you here I, I really did appreciate his use of synth mm-hmm. throughout all these tracks it never seemed like it was forced like oh it's the 80s I need to have synth I don't even know if that makes any sense but they seem to take it seriously he didn't gratuitously just throw some fucking synth in his song right um, and, and I don't, I don't even, again I don't know if that makes any sense but it just it felt more genuine it was, um, it was a component of the music like a, a very important component like I guess the song wouldn't sound the same without it yeah I, I and I that's how I feel I was like I was like oh damn this is some badass synth in these songs as opposed to oh here's hokey synth 80 song number 96472 you know it, it felt a little more real which again goes back to him being a true musician which again as, as somebody who was sort of a prince outsider I recognize from the very beginning of these songs somebody didn't cast prince to be prince prince was prince and then he imposed himself on his own label if that makes sense like he's like I'm doing this shit the way I want to do it and this is just how it's going to be as opposed to somebody say hey we're creating this character and this is what his music's going to sound like which I think became really common in the 80s instead he sort of just did his own thing which is why I, he feels so different from a lot of the other musical acts which I'm sure we can talk about his legacy later on but well, again, he's just so so different on most of these early albums he plays every single instrument does all the vocals and it's all him taking those isolations and putting them all together to create the music even though he had the band The Revolution for most of these early albums it's all him he also produced his own stuff he had to prove to the record label that he was able to do his own production they did try to settle him with a producer and he was so wretched to this producer that it basically broke the man he had previously done work with some notable artists including uh, Santana and Prince has actually pointed out that even though people try to draw comparisons between him and Jimi Hendrix he feels like he had a lot more Santana in his work especially in the early days but even though they brought in one of Santana's producers he basically broke the man and, and ran him off because he wasn't willing to allow anybody to tell him what he was going to do and I do think that the early albums maybe suffers from that a little bit because Prince still hasn't figured out who he is yet and he's I think still trying to appease people in those first two albums and I think with this one it's when he decided he was going to go full bore and be 100% the person he's wanting to be obviously exploring obviously listening to a lot of music outside of what he grew up on and trying to come I think he really wanted to get ahead of everybody else he was trying to figure out what was going to be the, the future of music and he wanted to be there and be that future and I think that that sent him into those new wave directions but also because he was watching things like MTV very early on and seeing that influence of that synth sound I think he probably part of it was just osmosis he had so much exposure to that sound that it, it got into his bloodstream as well would you say his look was maybe how would you say influenced by David Bowie I think that Bowie was probably an influence I'm not sure if he ever acknowledged that but bec- the androgyny specifically Bowie was like one of the first artists that really got out there yeah Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust right exactly exactly and the thing is to you had Little Richard earlier on than that and I think that True. that influence has been more readily acknowledged especially because they pretty much had the same mustache and a lot of the same vocal affectations but obviously Prince was taking it into a much further place much more along the lines of Ziggy Stardust or Freddie Mercury and Queen and I think that though all three of those have to be acknowledged as influences on his style and the boundaries he was trying to push okay I'm just kind of curious because I'm kind of rewatching the videos in the background I got a very Ziggy Stardust feel not like copying it but you know yeah building upon it building upon it yeah and making it his yeah, own I, too I think he's just one of those like you know you've got musical artists and then you have people who just kind of became characters like Madonna and, and a lot of these are going to be people who I, I think it's not any coincidence they just go by the one name too like I think Madonna was 
one of those just like Madonna was Madonna. She had her own look. She had her own sound. And I think Prince is the same way. I think Bowie's the same way. I think Little Richard is a, is a great example of someone who's like, you, you don't even need to hear a single word out of Little Richard's mouth. And you're like, okay, this dude's got his own thing, right? He's not copying anybody else. He's like, he's like an entity. Do you know it's what I mean? Right, right, right. And, and I think that that's part of what vaults some of these people to like uber, uber stardom is that they don't just have a sound. They've got, it's an entire identity that they're able to create. And, you know, Michael Jackson too, right? I mean, let's, uh, I think in a lot of ways, Michael Jackson and Prince had a bit of a parallel there, uh, even up until their demise, unfortunately. But I, I think that's what kind of separates that next tier of stardom and fame is just when like the, the, you just use the name. It's just, he's just Prince. And then later on became like just a fucking symbol. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, like that is a whole different level of identity creation and marketing and fame that like just can't be, you can't reproduce that with any person. Like it's just not, remember, it's not possible. I, I still remember watching them. I think in our city hall, we had like slave written across his cheek. Yeah. And that's going to be a like little, that. yeah, stuff like that. But that's going to be later in the career. So I don't want to get too much into that. I think that uh, Dre, I think it was Dre's recollection that when he first met Prince, they were like, he was 11 years old at, at a basketball game and he was already wearing ascot. You know, it's like, and when he was a kid, he didn't want to be called Prince. He wanted to be called Skipper because he hated his, the name that his father had given him. He, he hated the expectations. His dad actually said this, that he named him Prince Rogers after his musical pseudonym because he wanted Prince to do all the things that he hadn't managed to do for himself. And I think that Prince bristled at that expectation, bristled at trying to live somebody else's life in that way. And I think that maybe pushed him into creating his own identities. But I also think that he was canny enough to realize where the coming thing was and where the mistakes were. And as much attention as his overt sexuality gave him when he was running around in just the G-string, I think he also recognized that there was a huge rejection of that and he wanted a mainstream audience. So I think that there was always this conflict in him between wanting to have an audience, wanting to have the power and the attention that granted him, but also wanting to be his own man and form his own identity. Okay. Which takes us into 1981's controversy. If you cue that one up, you'll see that he looks a lot different in this one. Well, no, he's still wearing the G-string now, but he just kind of put on a coat and covered himself a little more. Well, I mean, he's he's fully dressed. You just know he's got a G-string underneath all that. No, no, no. You actually can see where he still has the knee-high boots. Okay. In 1980, Prince asked, am I white? Am I black? Am I straight? Am I gay? In the title cut from the aptly titled Controversy. Meanwhile, real controversy was brewing within his group, The Revolution. Andre Simone, eager for a larger share of the limelight, split from the band in a bitter separation. He was replaced by Brown Mark on this song, Controversy. strong new romantics influence in this outfit so you're talking your adamant i understand yeah, you're watching yeah. duran duran a lot back in those days pirate. Seems, yeah definitely fancy pirate shirts and everything certainly uh, now had either of you ever experienced this uh, song before yes okay. where did you heard controversy in the past probably my aunt's room okay yeah because another one it, it didn't land on the greatest hits stuff it, it wasn't something that got into circulation after he died so i was curious where the other would have come from for me it was the night flight video again this was part of that compilation that they had done back in the day 
I want to say I've definitely heard like the greatest hits. This song is on there. No, not the. Like, you, literally, I got my copy of the very best friends from your sister, and it's definitely not on there. Oh wow, I didn't know that. No. So it probably was your aunt playing it back in the day. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, she was a huge Prince fan. So when you said Prince, I'm like, well, that's like 90 percent of the music I'm gonna enjoy. <laughs> I knew there was gonna be stuff I didn't like, but uh, no, I love this one too. Uh, and I, I think it's definitely an announcement of intent. Am I straight or gay? Am I black or white? It's like he's confronting all these contradictions and all these assumptions of in the audience. I think it is him sort of refuting to some of the perceptions that he gained with that earlier visual manifestation. You know, he's trying yeah. to show I'm more than just the guy running around in the trench coat and the G-string. Yeah, it's catchy, right? Yeah. I believe catchy. in God. Do I believe in me? This album made it to 21 on Billboard. It made it to number three on the R&B charts. In 2016, after he passed away, this song managed to make it to 55, which again is weird to me because I really didn't think that this one was that broadly known, but I may have been mistaken about that. Mm-hmm. So the Village Voice ranked it the eighth album of uh, either all time or all, probably eighth album of that particular year that came out on the black chart came in at three the actual song controversy made it to number 70 on billboard uh, it was also the album that broke him in australia me personally i did not like the album that this came off of controversy i thought that dirty mind was a much better album overall where this was a really good single and a great look but he tried to be overtly political he, he had a song singing to ronald reagan he had a song called annie christian about gun troll and at times i've wondered why prince didn't have more socially conscious songs and then when i listen to the stuff on controversy it's like oh because he's not really very good at it and it's, it's kind of grating in fact so well, as much as i like this song and as much as i like the glass panes in the background the, the church windows in the background yeah which definitely telegraphs some of the places you'll go in the future I, as an album i just didn't think it worked that well okay this was my uh this might have been my favorite song you picked really about the entire I, I really i really really liked this song I, I the hook is so great i probably played this song oh just over and over today i, I blasted this whole playlist all day today but this song in particular i played multiple times where i was like controversy controversy really? i freaking love the shit out of this song dude controversy is my prince jam do not persecute me for it absolutely not no we, prince does not judge love prince as you wish but does me gonna... liking controversy become itself a controversy <laughs> it's, it's definitely a controversial oh shit we just got number meta. one it's like inception over here but prince 1999 the album released two years ago features a more mature and sophisticated prince both musically and theatrically Prince dramatically begins this show with more erotic symbolism. Bathed in red light, Prince slithers down a pole on stage and launches into the title song, 1999. So we'll move on to 1999, released in 1982. It's interesting because the thought was that Prince was demanding to do a double album. He hadn't really had any hits since I Want to Be Your Lover. You know, Dirty Mind didn't do that well. It, you know, it sold okay as an album, but there weren't any big singles off of it. You know, and it, despite some airplay, despite some moves like Saturday Night Live. And so this is a guy who's several years out from his one major hit, and he's demanding to do a double album. And he's done well enough that Warner Brothers is willing to go ahead and let him do this double album. But they figure it's going to be this away art project it's not going to be any kind of big hit and instead this is the one that breaks him broadly you know just huge number nine on billboard it actually came back onto the billboard charts the album itself in 2016 and ranked at number seven so it actually managed to do better after he passed away than it had in its peak 
VH1 rated it their 49th greatest album of all time. Slant Magazine ranked it as their 8th best album of the 80s. Rolling Stone ranked it as 16th in their top albums of the 80s. And number 163 out of their top 500 albums of all time. Now the title track, 1999. What was interesting with this one is that it was the first video that Prince got on MTV. It was adopted by MTV in their early days and it got a shit ton of play on MTV. One of the VJs I think came up with the term is Royal Badness, which obviously caught on. Yeah. And another one tried to go with Minnesota Monarch, which did not catch on. But even though 1999 wasn't getting a lot of airplay, it was on MTV so much that it helped to push 1999 on the airway. The song itself really was struggling, and it wasn't until Little Red Corvette was also being played on MTV that it started to get solid airplay on radio stations. Ultimately, it made it to number six on the Billboard. In 2016, when it came back, it made it to 29. On R&B chart, it was the number 13 song, Little Red Corvette. It came back in 2016 and made it to number 11. So Little Red Corvette was this was basically what drove the album 1999. 1999 itself only made it to 44 on Billboard. It made it to 4 on the R&B chart, though. Because of the song 1999, in the year 1999, it came back and made it to number 40. And then when he died in 2016, it came back to number 12. So that means it managed to chart in the, the Billboard Hot 100 four times across three decades. Holy uh, shit. <laughs> That's like eagle shit. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So do you guys remember when you first heard 1999? <sighs> Probably 2001. Just kidding. No, I don't. It's just that's just one of the Prince songs that I know. Yeah, I'd have to agree. That's just one of those Prince songs you would hear. I do remember going out on New Year's Eve, 1999, and they played the fuck out of it. I oh my that. god, yeah, for sure. The club we went to, me and Pussycat, they just kept playing it continuously. Well, I mean, the world was going to end because of computers, right? Yeah. Wow. Two K. Why two K? Everybody. I can't remember if I heard 1999 in its time period because, again, even though the song came out in '82, it didn't really start to break until '83, and it hasn't. Saw it on MTV. Yeah, I'm sure you, you may well have. I didn't have MTV, yeah. so I didn't I didn't get a lot of exposure to it in the early days. And I associated with my first girlfriend, and I did not have a girlfriend in 1983. So I want to say that it might have been after his next album before I actually heard 1999. Because unlike Thriller, they weren't playing this on VHS tapes at flea markets and stuff. So there, it wasn't. And I wasn't. Hey, hey, to hey! Pop- wait, 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 wait! You can't just gloss over that you associate this with your first girlfriend and not explain why the fuck you associate this. With your I first don't girlfriend. know. I literally don't know. I think I just uh, for some reason was I think like, I heard it while we were hanging out. But I, was I cannot she from recall. the future. Was she? She was a, a short African American man. Why, why do you associate <laughs> these two things? I, I can't. Explain was she obsessed with 1999? I, I can't explain it. I don't know. But uh, what do you guys think of the song itself? I like it. I think it's, it's very I, apocalyptic. It's just there. It, it's very it's very catchy it's too. Super catchy, especially like, now that we're past 1999. It's kind right, of it's quite, like Mr. Fix said. It reminds it, it reminds you of the whole Y2 thing even though the song came out yeah. way the fuck before Y2K you can't help but think about Y2K when you hear a party like I, it's 19 honestly when I listen to the song I just remember my uncle buying like three generators and boxes of batteries and like getting ready for the end of the world and then it didn't happen and he tried to take it back and they were like charging them restocking fees and I like, just fucked him over twice I distinctly remember as I was as I was listening to this today I for some reason had a flashback to my uncle losing his shit at Home Depot because they were charging him, like 40 bucks to put back the generators and like they were charging 
charging them to take their shit back and just him losing his shit. I just remember that. Man, I, and I don't think I re- – so this came out in 83? It came out in 82, but it started to – it came back onto the chart in 83. Holy shit. I didn't realize chart, it was that and, large of a span. Yeah. I'm just – I keep hearing, in the year 2000, in yeah, the year exactly. 2000. Yeah. I, I, I like it, but I've heard it so many times over the years that it does kind of become background music after a while. I have trouble actively listening to it because it, it's so – familiar that i i don't hook into it the you know as well it's, as I one, of, like it's one of those I, I i'm not like i have literally heard it in an elevator the elevator version of it the music in a hotel yeah music i've i've heard i remember i want to say i was in vegas maybe and they were playing and i remember thinking hey it's kind of cool and we were just humming along with it it's just one of those songs you, you don't even need the words as soon as you hear it you're like oh i know what the song is. well and let's not forget it was also like the joke in 1999 like oh we're gonna party like it's 1999 like it's yeah. it became associated with the dumb joke and so you know it's not the song's fault although i do have a big i have a hang up with people who list years in their songs because at some point you're going to pass that year and it's going to sound like when you sing about what oh six and i hear the song now i'm like dude that was fucking like forever ago and you're shouting about i'm down with oh six and it's like whatever you know it's stuff like i hate when people put years in songs that bothers because they because de- it dates them a little bit or absolutely it absolutely dates it okay it sounds ridiculous when you listen to it 10 years later and you're like wow cool you that, that you're literally saying when you were last cool was that's like this is the tombstone for my for my fame so anyway i don't know i think it's weird another thing too is there were so many nuclear winter songs around that same few years there in the early 80s when things were looking particularly dire and we all thought we were gonna die i like most of the other songs better because they lean more into the apocalypse he's he's so cavalier about the end of the world that i'm not as into it as i'd like to be well he's having an orgy i mean come on but he's he's got better orgies there's so many better there are a number of better orgy songs too so i was like "Eh, it's it's okay but it's it's sort of like level uh, it's it's there might have been better there, there might have been better orgy songs but they had as many hot women as prince would have had at his he would have had the hottest chick yes. but I, I feel like 1999 to some degree is his brass monkey you know <laughs> it's 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 just the yeah, one that sure. like you're just over because you've heard it way too many times it's his loser you know or, or you gotta fight too yeah, you're gonna fight, fight yeah, i hate that sorry fucking song. fight for your right i, I hate that fucking song yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean that's 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 it Every, yeah. all of these all of these acts have that one song right come on true but at the end of the day Rolling Stone ranked it 108 out of its 500 greatest songs of all time. There were four other singles that came off of 1999 including uh, some really long uh, like the really super long video automatic where he it's like 8 to 10 minutes long and involves him getting strapped to a bed and whipped. I'm just not that into that album though. It's not I know people praise 1999 but it's not one of my favorite Prince albums by far. No. So we can move on uh, to one of the big ones here. A little red Corvette. We didn't talk about the Red Corvette. I'm in, and did I not include it in the? No, there it is. Okay, yeah, good. So yeah, let's talk about Little Red Corvette. Wait, okay. hold on. I got one more thing about '99. Sure. Chill the fuck out. So I, I've heard about. I think I've heard a few musicians talk about this. I want to say I heard David Lee Roth talk about it, where it's like a, he calls it his Mozart's Fifth or whatever, something like that, where every act has that one song that gets so popular that even though you hate it, it pays for the rest of their career. Right. So it, it allows them to do all the other songs you like because because 1999 is so popular you can only hate on it so much because that got them famous enough to do all the other songs you like yeah so in a way as much as you can be like okay it's 1999 we can skip this track you kind of still have to be like okay i'm glad it came out otherwise who knows if he would have come out with all the other tracks later on that you would have enjoyed so this was this was his moneymaker song right it's so funny you bring that up because i just heard something similar to that about creep for radiohead not too long ago yeah yeah creep is there they were talking about mozart's fifth absolutely hates that song and it's a rarity for 
them to play it. But when they do, people lose their shit because he hates that song so much because that's what they were known for, like in the beginning of their career. So yeah, and I just saw something about that a couple weeks ago. It's so funny you brought it up. I don't even know if I got the Mozart thing right. Who the fuck is Mozart? He was the deaf guy, right? Anyway, <laughs> that'll talk on the next one song each. Oh, uh, Mozart Memorial. Forgot to mention, I think that Dirty Mind has an awesome album cover because it's him in the getup with the G string and everything else. And what they've done is they've managed to, to shoot the inside of a mattress in such a way that it's square rather than rectangular. And it creates this pattern of springs and connecting wires and such that looks really freaking cool. It's super iconic. I, I wasn't, I, that's not an album cover I saw very much, uh, if at all, growing up. So seeing it today and having a copy of it, it's like, wow, this is really impressive. I think that 1999's album cover is one of the worst fucking album covers of all. Is that the one I got the graffiti and shit on it? Yeah, it's all purple with the yeah. shitty fucking drawings. It looks so goddamn amateurish. It totally looks like something that somebody did in junior high and weren't putting a lot of effort into it. It's like the shitty collage mixed with crappy drawings. It's a terrible yeah. cover. I hate covers like that. Like uh, Snoop Dogg's first doghouse cover. Shit like that. Just ugh. Uh, so but on to Little Red Corvette. 1999 stayed on the charts for an entire year. The second cut, Little Red Corvette, was also a sexual metaphor. This song's okay. Oh, I love this song. I did not. I was like, oh, Little Red Corvette. That's one of his hits. And I heard it, and I was just like, no, I've heard this song. I'm going to listen to Controversy again. Well, <laughs> yeah. no, no. Definitely the top ten. It's good. It's better than 99, I think, probably. But I also love Little Red Corvette. I love the imagery. I love the wordplay. I love the eroticism. The, musically, I think it holds up really well. I have heard it a billion times, and I still don't care. It's still a great song, by my reckoning. Oh, yeah. The jocks that were there before me, dude? Yeah, yeah. Got a pocket full oh. of Trojans, some of them used. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah I love the wordplay yeah, in that brutal. one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's brutal, it, And I love, too, that the woman in that song is empowered. She's the one. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. She's got the hot pocket. You know, she's the one who's completely in control. He's still feeling his way around this whole sex thing. And for a guy who is so known for that, to offer that vulnerability, offer that moment where he wasn't the prince that he would become, I really love that about the song. I love him relating to her. And it's weird because there is a a slight element of slut chimney to it which is a drag to hear from Prince but you take it in context of the times and you take how much sexual power this woman has in the song and you kind of have to forgive it for that I love how the song takes you on that journey too sonically I love the rhythms of the song I love the, you know, the little change ups and stuff it's great tune oh and speaking of folks acknowledging it so Billboard number 6 way higher than 1999 Billboard in 2016 brought it to number 29 R&B chart was 13 R&B chart in 2016 was 11 it sold 1 million copies of the single. The origin of the song was that Prince had this tendency, he would stay up for like three days straight, just working on songs obsessively. And the band would be trying to keep up with him as best they could. And one night, after one of those drags, he went to take a little nap in Lisa's car. She had like a Mercury, and I guess maybe there was some sort of Mustang stuff in the car or something, but he would be taking catnaps in the car, and little snippets of the song would come to him, come out of the sleep and think a little bit more, and kind of get a little more nap, catnap. And so he was, he was not even fully conscious when he drafted that song, inspired by sleeping in the car. Wow. Yeah. Now, when did this song come out? This was 82, I believe. 82 or 83. 82? It may have been 83. So, um, when did you first hear it? Later. Definitely later. Because I, I have vague okay, yeah. recollections of 1999, but I have no recollections from the earlier 80s of hearing Little Red Corvette. I probably didn't Because I remember hearing 80s. Little Red Corvette, but not understanding the context of it. Oh, sure. Oh, I had. I thought it was about a car when I was a kid, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, just like, uh, you know, as, as an aside, I've always loved uh, Pebble's Mercedes Boy. And I only, oh, yeah. in recent years, have finally realized he's not talking about a Mercedes.
pussy is the Mercedes. <laughs> Rosebud is a sled, and the pussy is the Mercedes. She does not actually have a Mercedes. And Mac has no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm like, no, he doesn't. No. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Old People Podcast. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding, you guys. So uh, a little bit more on Little right, Red Corvette. Guitar World rated it their 64th best guitar solo out of uh, Elizabeth 100. A Rolling Stone ranked Little Red Corvette as their 108th best song of all time out of 500. Wow. But if we're done with that one, we can move on to the epic Purple Rain. But before we get to right. the actual I thought song, it was Purple Rain, we are, but I mean the album Purple Rain. Oh. Don't go away. Nightlight will return with more of our video profile of Prince and the Minneapolis sound right after this. For years, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has found its joy talking about comics. From Aquaman and Firestorm to Batman and Plastic Man, from giant treasuries to pocket-sized digests, from massive miniseries events to singular one-shot adventures, from romance to horror to whatever the hell Ohatmu or not is... In the last year, they've begun to carve a path through their favorite television shows, such as MASH, Cheers, and Justice League Unlimited, and there's no sign of them stopping. What medium will fire and water conquer next? Do you like good music? Introducing Fire and Water Records, the music anthology podcast from the Fire and Water Network. Find your joy in all new ways as members of the Fire and Water Network and their friends discuss favorite songs, albums, concerts, and artists. Hang on, I've been doing a music show for two years. Featuring Record Revolution. Join the Brothers Daily as we catalog the essential years that shaped popular music and our own lives. A very daily Christmas. An annual celebration of our favorite holiday tracks. Plus, all new episodes of Zoom for Sam. The show in which I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single every single episode. And Pod Dylan. No, not Pod Dylan. We discussed this. That's staying on its own feed. Not Pod Dylan, but everything else I said. Plus, so much more. There's even a chance David Ace Gutierrez will show up. Which brings us back to Fastball, which is really one of the most interesting American bands in the world today. When you think about the number of side projects and solo projects associated with the band, it actually almost out. Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Welcome back to Nightlife and tonight's video profile of Rock's controversial superstar, Prince. The hit movie Purple Rain reveals some of the destructive influences in the young life of a confused character called the Kid. Prince drew on his own troubled experiences growing up to develop this challenging role. Here's the rarely seen long version of When Doves Cry from the Purple Rain movie soundtrack. So When Doves Cry sold 2 million copies as a single. It was a Billboard number one for five weeks. In 2016, it came back on the Billboard and ranked eight. In the UK, this was a number four song. It came back in 2016 and ranked 26. VH1's 80 songs, it ranked number five all time. Rolling Stone ranked it the 52nd best song of all time. Spin ranked it the number six best song of all time. And it's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. I have no clue when I first 
first show. I don't know when I heard a lot of these songs because they would have been in my earlier childhood. I remember dancing at a junior high dance with a girl to the song. That was the first time you'd ever heard it or just your first memory of it? I probably heard it before that, but it, it meant more to me during that dance. Oh, I'm sure. I actually, you know what? I remember it reminds me of Frank's first girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? It reminds me of a breakup. Yeah. Because I saw Romeo and Juliet, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, and they do this song in a scene. Oh, they did like a cover, the right? Choir. Yeah. Yeah. They did a cover, it, and I was dumb. The night I'm going to this movie, I had tickets to go see this movie, and I was dumb. And I still decided to go to the fucking movie to go see Romeo and Juliet with the other couple we were supposed to go with, and sat through the movie, like, depressed as shit, and this song comes on, and I remember the cover of it. I just remember, it, that, that kind of stuck with me. Holy shit, that's some sad fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, well, Saturn's sitting there with the other couple, and they're, like, trying to keep me happy. And I'm fucking depressed as shit, because I just got dumped. And you're seeing Romeo and Juliet of all things. Yes. And we went, because it was supposed to be a romantic movie with couples night. Right. And I get fucking dumped the night of. Yeah, that was uh, brutal. I never saw that remake, by the way. Me neither. Oh, great movie. A great soundtrack. I never watched the actual movie, though. Oh, I strong the version of Leonardo DiCaprio, I think. I've avoided, I, I never saw Titanic. I never saw that one. So I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But, yeah. but I've never seen Titanic either, so... I can't talk shit. This is one of the reasons why I have strong reservations about 1999 being an earlier song because I distinctly remember watching the video for Windows Cry on Friday night videos, being a little bit freaked out by, you know, the doors open and you see the steam and then you've got Prince in the tub and he's so skinny and so pretty. I could not tell if he was a boy or a girl at first. And I was Did like, you have special feelings? No, no, no special feelings. Just okay. like the androgyny of it freaked me out. I was like, what the fuck am I looking at? here. And then, no song had ever sounded like When Doves Cry when this fucking thing came out. There's no fucking bass line. It's really unconventional. you got that drum machine going and that really sort of sinister beat. You know, it's like, what is this? But certainly by the end of the video, I was transfixed. You've got all the clips from the movie Purple Rain. And my understanding is When Doves Cry was actually the last song written for Purple Rain. They shot the movie and they were doing a sequence where he was like flashing back to earlier scenes of the movie, the various conflicts he was having with his father with Apollonius' character and they needed a song to play over that sort of like how they would do with the Rocky movies when he was doing a training montage this was like his depressive romance montage and his difficult relationships montage and so Prince put this together fairly quickly it was actually two songs he put together to go over that sequence this is the one that got picked it's just such a great tune it's so distinctive no song sounded like it before it came out it completely blew everybody away when it came out and of course since the video shows all these clips of him riding around on his purple motorcycle and shit with his badass outfit very butched up compared to the way he looked in previous albums. It was such iconic imagery, such a unique song. I loved it immediately, and I've always loved this song. Definitely one of my favorites. Badass video too. Nothing this bad. was a good song. Michael Likey. Yeah, yeah, I, I like this one. This, 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 so wait, wait, so wait I, I, I'm getting maybe a little confused here. What album was When Dubs Cry on? Purple Rain. It was the first. Is this all Purple, Purple Rain? Rain? Yeah. So at what point? Can you please explain to me what the fu- so Purple Rain was a movie too, right? Yeah. So w- was this like the soundtrack to yes, the movie? The soundtrack to the movie. So which came first, the movie or the soundtrack? This is interesting. Okay. At the same time, right? L- let me let me get into this one. Okay. So as we discussed, Prince. Hold had- on. Let me hold on. Hold on. Let me unzip while you frank me. <laughs> okay, continue. Um, hey, so anyway, um, <laughs> Frank, Frank. <laughs> so basically, Prince was to some degree a one-hit wonder. He had "I Want to Be Your Lover," and then a dry period of three years where he didn't have any major hit to his name, particularly any kind of crossover hit. And then, of course, 1999 blows up in a big way. And as you can see, as we talked about before, Prince has been trying to figure out how to get broader audience. 
one thing I think he was thinking of, or I know somebody mentioned in one of the articles I was reading about Prince, was Godfather of Soul, James Brown. Obviously one of the most magnetic performances of all time. One of the greats musically, an incredible catalog of music. But there aren't a ton of songs that crossed over with mainstream audience, like, let's be frank, white audiences. He mostly was a big thing in the black community, and he had some crossovers, but not a lot. And he, it always frustrated him. And one of the reasons why he thought he didn't cross over was that he couldn't get white people to come see his show. And he was such an electrifying performer. Obviously, everybody knows what an incredible showman he was. That's how he was the godfather of soul. Everybody knows about the capes and the fake exhaustion, and then he comes back again, and, and the men that would like be handling him on the stage and stuff. And so he knew that if he could just get people to see what a performer he was live, they would buy his albums and he'd be a bigger star. And I think Prince took that to heart and was trying to figure out how he could get people to see him perform, because obviously he is a world-renowned performer as well. It basically is what broke him to a large degree is because he put on such incredible shows that he physically couldn't keep up what the, uh, those shows demanded of him. One of the easiest ways to do that was to have a movie. And you know, Beatles did movies, Elvis did movies, the easiest way to cross over. And so even though he really wasn't that big of a success, he'd only had a few hits, even counting 1999, but he had enough heat behind him that he realized that if he could just get some money together, he could make a movie and project himself broadly. He managed to cut a deal with Warner Brothers where they would get a good chunk of his royalties if they would front him a few million dollars to make Purple Rain. He found a director that had never directed a movie before. He found a screenwriter that was best known for TV, the screenwriter of Brian's Song and some other popular TV movies. He'd actually been working on the Fame TV show, which hadn't you know been as big as they had hoped, and he was actually not sure if the show was going to come back for another season, and so to keep himself busy, he went to Minnesota and hung out with Prince for a month to absorb this guy's lifestyle and who he was. And he pointed out that Prince was one of the least accessible people that he'd never met. And the example he gave is that he's talking about what they wanted to eat. And he said the way that Prince would say it is he wanted something with tomatoes and onions and maybe a little beef and maybe a broth. And then the writer would be like, you mean like beef stew? He would never be able to tell you about beef stew. He would tell you about all these ingredients and you would have to come take it to its logical conclusion. So while he's spending time with Prince, Prince didn't really know what he wanted the movie to be. He just knew these elements that he wanted in the movie. And by spending that month with Prince, he would see the conflict that he had with his father, the conflict that he was having with Triton Stardom, and the way that he was like a center of attention, a center of attraction in Minnesota. The guy was in an incredibly productive place. There was a period from like 82 until about 85 where the guy was just constantly producing. He wanted to have an album, like two albums out per year. And Warner Brothers wouldn't let him do that, so he formed the time so that he'd have another outlet to write music. And he basically, everything that the time did was Prince's music. And he had all these people around him, all these people that were going to become famous or were developing as artists around him but it's like he hadn't figured out what he was yet and, and what he wanted to convey and so this writer pulled all these threads that he's seeing from spending his time with Prince and hearing the things that interested him even though this guy had not done a lot he was still crafting the image that he'd become f famous for they managed to pull together an idea of what this movie could be and Prince gave the director like a hundred songs from what I hear to choose from to use Holy in the movie shit. right because he was just that creative okay. that, that much going on they figured out what songs they wanted to use within the context of the movie those songs were performed live and even though people like the movie as a whole they mostly know, love it for the musical performances by Prince by the people around him like the time the, who were his nemeses in the movie and the movie allowed him to create a mythology for what Prince and the Revolution were going to be and so the soundtrack and the movie were being crafted at the same time but obviously they were being made from Prince's catalogs of songs plus some new material that he crafted for the movie but of course nobody thought the movie was going to do anything until close to the time of release when all of a sudden it had this enormous buzz and it broke it was huge it was a huge movie when it came out it ended up making 
making something like $70 million, like 10 times the original budget, and completely set the world on fire in terms of Prince becoming the biggest thing. And I'm sure it lit a fire under Michael Jackson, too, because within a few years, he was trying to do shit like Captain EO, but he never caught up with Prince on the movie circuit. Never could match what Prince had done. What about Moonwalker? He comes from a place beyond the stars to take them to a world beyond their dreams. From his soul comes the music. From his heart comes the beat. Now, from the imagination of Michael Jackson comes a movie like no other. could prepare you for his movie. Moonwalker. It's written in the stars. I like Moonwalker. It's not, you know, I think it was, what did it trade the video or did that actually get a theatrical release? I have no clue. I just saw the weird video game. Mr. Fix It? I saw it on video. Yeah, see, I saw it on video too. I don't know if that ever got a theatrical release. I think I played the video game too on the... I think we all played the video game at least once, Nintendo but it wasn't that good, right? Sake. I can't remember, yeah, but I remember that was that was a big deal too. That's where he turns into a robot, on, right? At the end. I think it was only on Sega. I don't think that was a Nintendo. I think that was Sega only. And I only played it in the arcade. I never played it on yeah, the Yeah, it was uh, definitely an, ar- an arcade console. I remember playing it there too. Anyway, back to Prince. Okay. Renegade rock superstar and the tradition of Mick Jagger, Elvis Presley, and Jimi Hendrix, Prince seeks to excite and provoke on every level. Here's Prince and his latest hit, Let's Go Crazy. The second single off of Purple Rain was Let's Go Crazy. So Let's Go Crazy was a U.S. number one. It was a U.K. number seven. And in 2016, it came back and made it to 25 on the billboard. Can I play a little bit of it real quick to refresh sure. my memory on Let's Go Crazy? Okay, give me a sec. Give me a second. Oh, let's go crazy. I remember this song. This song's got like a Footloose vibe to it. I can see or uh, something like that. And then it breaks into a weird like Eddie Van Halen solo at the end. But again, that was one of the things that was a bit of a diss on Michael Jackson. Is Jackson, for things like Beat It, would have to bring in an Eddie Van Halen to do his badass guitar solo, where Prince, master of 27 instruments and counting, did his own solo. It, it's an interesting song. Not one of my favorites, because it just, I don't know. It's, it's It seems, like I said, it's like very wake me up before you go-go. I, I don't know. that The beat through it. Sounds super 80s stock song, but it's so ironic that you brought up Wham because guess what prevented the song Purple Rain from reaching number one? Um, 
faith? <laughs> Just kidding. Nope, you, you already wake called me it. up before you. Uh, yep, it, you it, wake it, me up before it, you go. Invented purple rain from getting to number one was wake me up before you go go. Really, that is weird. Very random. But it also goes to show where we were musically at that time. You contrasting Wham with Prince. Just imagine how far apart these two things were at that time. Yeah, for real. Uh, what about you, Miss Fisher? I remember the song very uh, clearly during the movie. Sure. Well, what about Just- your exposure to it though? Did you hear it before you saw the movie, or was that part of the? No, experience? no. I saw. I remember the song when I saw the movie. So did you see it? This one, and I would die for you. Those two songs are. I distinct, distinctly remember watching whenever this song came out. Did you see it theatrically? Uh, did I see Purple in the theater? No, I don't believe so. So video? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I saw it on video. Okay. The auntie? I don't think I was that cool. No, I don't think I was Do that like cool. Let's go crazy. No. I I think it's a great song. I think it's definitely one of the more iconic Prince songs. Uh, you obviously got the wedding portion at the beginning of the song. You got the, the the complete rocking out at the end of the song. It's definitely another one of those songs that very much feels Prince-like, like you know, one of his anthems essentially. Definitely the kind of song you would want to listen to when you're wanting to get footloose and fancy free on a weekend. No, I'm, I definitely love Let's Go Crazy. But we can transition to Purple Rain if you like. The Revolution, Prince's band, figures prominently in the movie. Critics believe Prince drew on past conflicts within the band to prepare for this scene. Did you hear it? I knew it. He didn't listen to it. He probably dropped it under his bike and rolled over it. Let's get out of here. Every time we give you a song, you say you're going to use it, but you never do. You think we're doing something behind your back. You're just being paranoid as usual. Wendy. Shut up, Lisa, please. You should know by now that we wouldn't hurt you. You should know by now that we wouldn't put a dark cloud over your head. It's just to make you feel good. You felt this way with us before, remember? Why should he do your music? He's been getting along just fine without it. Next thing you know, you'd be wanting to use his motorcycle. You can really hurt people. Come on. I'm so tired of this. I'm really tired of it. When the idea of the movie came from him, when he talked about doing this and when a whole bunch of strangers started showing up at our warehouse, we all realized this is going so this is we didn't this is not just chat. This is happening. It wasn't a mistake. It didn't feel like it was a fool's paradise at all. It really felt like, oh, it's a sure this is a sure thing because he hired these individuals who are. We came to the picture sort of like with singular personalities and sort of self-possessed in our own lives. That translated to each one of our personalities with an instrument. Bobby was always the gentleman and put together, and that reflected in his absolute pocket, meat and potatoes, four on the floor, drumming, sturdy, Lisa, ethereal person, sort of walks on air, whispers when she talks, her music sounds that way. Matt, he's he is like a doctor and it, you know, it, you know, he's like got a bit jerkiness and he's like rrr, rrr, rrr. and he can play his keyboard and get from the left side of the eighty-eight keys all the way to the right side faster than any human being and he's like a he's a hummingbird. And this one is the sexy, gorgeous, just like all encompassing, curious flirt, and that's how his bass sounds. So <clears throat> that dish that became song. purple rain from this group of cooks with our master chef. 
And his acting, you know, he, he created this character that we'd see dailies, you know. So he, he was convincing us to be better and better and better. He had people on the tour to back up. On our 1999 tour, he had people observing us on the bus. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. there were strangers on the bus, like, getting jokes and learning our personality. And, you know, it was like a Big Brother kind of a shadowing thing. And uh, it, all this data and information was being gathered about us to create characters. Mm-hmm. We had acting class. We had ballet class. We had, you know, and Prince participated in these classes with us. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was, it, he prepared for Purple Rain in a way that he never did any other album. Because he had to. Because the film slowed him down. And that mm-hmm. created time for him to reflect. And most albums, he was done in a second. You know, three weeks done. But Purple Rain had to stew for about six months. He really had to think about it. He could replace tracks. He came up with the beautiful ones at the last minute. There was things that happened that made it what it is today. And it was forced patience. On him. Yeah. As far as the storyline in Purple Rain about Lisa and I and whether or not, you know, you, you, you never listened to our music, did you? And you never, you know, that was never the case. No, he, he listened wanted to hear to yeah. everything yeah, Lisa and I like did. Play me everything you're doing. Everything. <laughs> yeah, what did you do? What was Whatever that? What did. was that? What are you doing? I How dreamed you wrote a song. Exactly. Play it for me. You know, it's just... Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the revolution's clash of egos is resolved when the kid sings Wendy and Lisa's almost evangelical song. Purple Rain in this climactic scene from the movie. Billboard number two, UK number eight. 2016, it came back to become a number eight. In the UK, it came back and reached number six, so it actually managed to do better in 2016 than it did back in uh, 84. Rolling Stone rated it the 144th best song of all time. Pitchfork, best of the 80s, like the single best song of the 80s, if I recall correctly. Purple Rain was originally conceived to be a country song, if you can believe that. It was still eight minutes long. Prince had done, I think, keyboards on Stevie Nicks' Stand Back, and he wanted her to write the lyrics for this country song that he'd put together, and so so he sent her the working copy of the song and she just couldn't you know she it was too big it was too complex she was scared of the song basically and she wasn't willing Prince brought it back I think during the making of the movie Purple Rain or perhaps even after it had already been made and he was playing around with it with the band and I think it was either Wendy or Lisa in particular that started doing some different instrumentation with it and got him inspired and so they worked further on it and apparently the whole band worked on the song for six hours refining it until it became the final song that we know today it's another one of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. It's also the last song that Prince ever played before he died. It was the song that he played in his third encore of the night before he passed. Do you guys know what Purple Rain is about, though? Like the song or the movie or what? The song. I don't think so. I think I was even trying to pay attention earlier and see if I could decode this one, and I, it didn't happen. I don't believe so. Well, like, on your list of songs, actually, Gardner Nicky's next. I, I just transitioned because there was the paper. We'll, we'll, we'll come back oh, okay. to it in a sec. Prince explained the meaning of Purple Rain as follows. With his blood in the sky, red and blue equals purple. Purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith God guide you through the purple rain. Uh, the title track of Prince's preceding album, 1999, includes a similar reference to a doom ending under a purple sky. Could have sworn it was Judgment Day, the sky was all purple. So it's, it's another one of his apocalyptic songs. And of course, it's the rousing song that helps to culminate the movie Purple Rain, although it's not actually the last song on the uh, movie. So gotcha. I have not seen the film, so this is a difficult for me. What about you, Fix It? I just remember it being uh, the title track to the 
movie and hearing that song everywhere. I enjoyed it. I liked the song. Yeah, I, I, I dig it too, but obviously there are other songs on the album that I like better. But it, it's a great song, and, and again, obviously a, a perfect anthem. Uh, so uh, what about you, Matt, though? You just like, just think it's okay? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good song. It's catchy. The the, the, um, the chorus is catchy. I seem to... It, it, does he ride a motorcycle when this song is playing at some point? I, I have this weird... Well, he, he's riding a, a, on a, a motorcycle. motorcycle all throughout the movie. And of course, oh. you've seen the album cover. It's one of the, the classic album covers of all time. Is he on a motorcycle? Yeah. yeah then yes, I have seen that one. Yeah, because he's on the motorcycle. Apollonia's uh, at the club, you know, in basically lingerie with the door open. And then on the album itself, they've got some like floral patterns uh, on either side of what's essentially the movie poster. Plus, this is the first album that he did where he's got that iconic font, the script font for Purple Rain and Prince of the Revolution. Okay, keep going, because yeah. I was going to ask a question, but it's probably uh, going to be answered later on. Okay. When Darling Nikki was a big talking point, the, I don't think he paid attention to whether or not Tipper Gore thought his lyrics were salacious no. or wrong for kids. She helped him sell a lot of exactly. records. Exactly. I don't think he thought much about it. I think later in life, his relationship to, and this, this is only my intuition, but I, I think he just grew away from wanting to explore that side of himself and didn't sing about it anymore. I don't necessarily think that he thought Darling Nikki was a bad song. As a matter of fact, I think he loved it. Loved it. I think Mr. Fixit can take on that one if he likes. That's probably my favorite Prince song of all of them, pants down. I love even the scene in the movie where he's singing it in front of all the characters, all the actors, and uh, he's basically pointing out that one girl that broke his heart. I, I don't know, I guess shaming her, you would say? Arguably, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. also the, the one, isn't that the song that he uses to basically show like sort of a breaking point in general? Like he's, he's, he's kind of starting to fall apart and that's why he's going so far out on a limb on that one song? Or is there another one that's more out there than that? No, I think this is it because he's actually doing the song and all the, act, all the other characters are kind of react to him like damn even the female character that his love interest is crying because I'm assuming that song's about her just I guess talking about you know I'm rewatching the video and it's like holy shit I need to rewatch this movie <laughs> and also you were fond of the Foo Fighters cover of that one right well yeah I mean I, I very rarely hear a bad cover of this song I'd have to look for them but yeah the Foo Fighters did a great cover there was another band I heard not so long ago they did a really great cover a more uh, a, a faster version but yeah this is just by far my favorite Prince song anything else notable about the crew too I'll just say the, the video is freaking crazy so is that is that a scene from the film? Yeah, it's basically because they didn't yeah. release them. This was not a single. It was a B-side for one of the singles. They never released a proper video. So what we see online is just the actual scene from the movie. It's salacious. Salacious. So, but anything else notable? That no, was a good song. It's, it, was, it was one of my favorites on the list, too. I, I figured you, especially Matt, could be the one who would step in on this one. So Darling Nikki was a song that was being played by one of the daughters of Alan Tipper Gore. And upon hearing that song through the bedroom door is what inspired Tipper Gore to begin her campaign for record label. It was this specific the P- song. The PMRC? Exactly. Really? It, Darling it, Nikki was, Darling with, Nikki was one of the one. tracks that got the PMRC going. Yeah, again, it was, of course, it was a track on the album itself. It was a huge selling album. She heard it and was like, this is inappropriate. Children should not be hearing this. Now, I think they actually listed the daughter's age of like 11, which by that point in time, I don't know that it would have been that alien of a concept, but it was also 1984, so I think there was some element of denial and maybe a little bit of uh, lack of uh, sexual education that might have allowed 
that be even more shocking than we can conceive of it being in today's internet era. So did it? Did, didn't they have like a list of songs that that they wanted that were they used for examples of why? Oh yeah, yeah. They need more This was definitely like Exhibit A against allowing music to be put out without restriction. I gotta find that list. I think I'm pretty sure it's online. I mean, it's gotta be. But in fact, this song topped the list. It was called the Filthy Fifteen. <laughs> Included Madonna's Dress You Up, Black Sabbath, uh, and then finally the page load and kicked me off when I was reading. Mm-hmm. It's so funny too, of all the Madonna songs, Dress You Up is the one that makes the list. What the hell? Okay, I think this was the list. One, Love for Sale by Cole Porter, as sung by Billy Holiday. Two, Take Off Take Your Hand Off It by Billy Hughes. Three, The Hammer Song by The Weavers. Four, Louie Louie by The Kingman. Five, Kick Out the Jams by MC5. Six, The Pill, Loretta Lynn. Seven, Band in DC by Bad Brains. Eight, Darling Nikki, Prince. Uh, nine, Band in the USA, Two Live Crew. Now, this can't be it, because, uh, I don't know, maybe. There's like an Eminem song on here. This is stupid. Ignore me. Delete all this. Just mention that it was on the 15. Okay. Well, and another one that probably should have made the list was Erotic City, which was Let's Go Crazy's B-Side, and was also featured in 1996's Girl 6, the Spike Lee movie, and featured the recording debut of Sheila E., a percussionist who would later go on to have her own musical career. Thoughts on Erotic City? Mmm. <laughs> I'm not remembering this track because since it was the back end of the playlist, sir, I apologize. I feel like I'm letting you down. How about you, Mr. Fixit? I was listening to it right now. It's actually pretty good. I, re- I enjoyed the song quite a bit. Now, were you familiar with that song? I didn't realize the name of the song was Erotic City. I knew of the song. Do you remember when you first were exposed to it? Because it's not on the soundtrack album. I'm sure it was through a family member. I remember hearing the song and I remember thinking it was really cool. It was just different. It's a lot slower. There's more bass in his voice. Uh, yeah, no, but it's really good. I really like this song. And nothing from you, Max? I think I remember liking this one. But unfortunately, I didn't get through the back end of this playlist in multiple listenings today. So I apologize. I can't get a lot of detail, edit anything I say out. I apologize. (laughs) So I fucking love Erotic City in part because it makes me want to fuck. It's just such a fucking arousing song. It's got such a fuckable rhythm to it. You just want to move your body when you're listening to it. We can funk until the dawn. Making love till Cherry's gone is, again, very nasty wordplay. Sheila E., I love her voice. And I love the way that she plays off of Prince's voice. I, I love the, that slow entry of the song because it's, it's about eight minutes long. It's a, it's a, and so it slowly builds. It's kind of getting you into the groove and then gets more and more randy, more and more rhythmic. It's audio sex. It's an incredible, incredible song. I don't think I heard it until probably the late 90s, early 2000s. I think I heard it thanks to file sharing of the day. Otherwise, I don't think it's on the very best. Let me look right quick. It's not on the very best of Prince. It's one of those songs, too, where because she's saying it sounds like she's saying funk as originally written it was funk it did manage to get airplay by people allowing it to be thought of as funk but in the early 2000s there was a crackdown on what was perceived to be cursing on the airwaves and some heavy fines were levied in part against people playing this song this specific song and so that sort of pushed it out of what deg- to what degree it was ever mainstream but yeah it's it's an incredible song it's absolutely one of my favorite Prince songs and again it's just such a fuckable tune well now I'm, I'm now I feel upset that I didn't listen to it or I didn't listen to it enough to recall it during the recording of this podcast that's all I got sorry man next track tonight on Friday Night Videos it's Prince Night his royal badness holds court on a special edition of Friday Night Videos with hosts Patty LaBelle and Kadeem Hardison You'll see Prince the way you've never seen him before and the way you can't see him anywhere else in incredible concert performances. 
plus your favorite Prince videos. And now, Patti LaBelle and Kadeem Hardison. I cannot. <laughs> We're back. Go ahead. Okay. You talk. I tell you that the, the Purple Rain soundtrack was number one on the charts for 24 weeks, and it sold 14, 14 million. And Prince is one of the few, aside from Patti LaBelle, who, did who has, who, and who that's has right, also. Who, who's won an Oscar and a Grammy. Yes. And Patti's up for Emmy. So and a Tony. And a Tony. Yes. And what else can you win? A few more things I'll tell you later. But were there any other standout tracks from Purple Rain that you really liked? Probably, uh, I Would Die For You. It's an incredible song. Was that the closer or no? Yeah, that's where he redeems himself at the end of the movie. Yeah, there's another one that I, I definitely love because it does have that elevating quality. It, it, you feel it in your soul when, when this one's going. And of course, I'm sure women loved I Would Die For You. That's exactly the sort of thing that you want to hear from your fella. Well, especially in the midst of the Purple Rain and 1999 and everything else. You want to make sure the fella you're with it would die for you. I just remember the hand motion being a big deal. I remember my friends doing all the, uh, when you sing along with the song, the I Would Die For You portion. Yeah, Prince was very into hands. I, and you see that a lot in the next album. But I, I think that, that was him trying to find his own unique expression. And he did seem like he did a lot of hand stuff, more so than most other artists. I know that sounds dirty, especially in context of Prince. But I just mean the gestures, the dancing with your hands, essentially. But he does that part where he like points at his eyes. I would die for you. Mm-hmm. I, I just remember a lot of my female friends doing that shit constantly. That's cool. So this one made it to number eight on Billboard. In 2016, it managed to climb back up to 39. In the UK, it only did 58, though, when it first came out. So that's too bad. It, I, I guess the momentum is sort of crested by that point, even though it's a great song and absolutely comfortable with anything else on the album. Uh, but what, was there anything else that you were particularly inclined toward? Talking to Mr. Fix-It. More, more Mr. Fix-It. Although, uh, maybe, it. maybe I'm a star is on my playlist uh, toward the back end. Do you remember that one at all, Matt? Damn it. Um, I, I will say, because I, like I said, I'm just not familiar with enough of his catalog to be able to like, oh, that's this song by name but um i also uh, throughout this whole play- i mean this is a pretty this is a decent sized little playlist you put together I-, I didn't find myself skipping any of them i i, I enjoyed all this but we can use that for the wrap up later on anyway so uh mr fix it baby i'm a star he's probably listening to it right now mm. he's listening he's you listening want, you, you can track over there right quick if you want yeah no that's a good song no, i was i was listening to it earlier that's one of those uh, songs i distinctly distinctly remember hearing the song on another album from another artist that would have been the hit single but there's just so much good shit on this album that it's one of the lesser tracks because of it. I think it's the best of the track that I feel like could have been a single but it wasn't. It definitely feels like a time song. Something he would have wrote for the time. Oh yeah, yeah, I can kind of see that, yeah. It reminds me of that song from the Batman soundtrack as well. Which one? All Hell and you, you King in Town. Okay. It has a very similar feel to it. A little bit of Party Man too. It's just a, this very upbeat slightly funky, mostly poppy song. The ones, the lesser tracks for me would have been Take Me With You, The Beautiful Ones and Peter Blue, which oddly enough are toward the front end of the soundtrack. But I also think that it allows for a progression where the songs get stronger and stronger as the soundtrack progresses while making sure to get you on board with Let's Go Crazy. We can move on now. The personality that Prince decided to reveal on Around the World in a Day had one foot in the past. Whereas with 1999 and Purple Rain, Prince had been forging forward with technology to produce an original and very modern sound. With this album, he paid homage to the innovators of the 1960s, and in particular, the Beatles. First thing that comes to mind when I think of Around the World Day is when Lisa and I had gotten David, Lisa's brother, rest in peace, David's cassette tape of a song that him and my brother Jonathan had recorded called Around the World in a Day. And we listened to it in the car and we ran into rehearsal and made Prince come out into the car and say, you have to hear this. And Prince listened and he goes, do you think he'd give it to me? Yeah, he was like, he took the tape out of my car. And he's like, 
what's his phone number or something? Because David was playing like Oud and Darbuka and Jonathan was, they were all, play, you know, they were, the chorus was there. It was done before we even hit yeah. Detroit, mm -hmm. you know, before we even hit the first show of Purple Rain tour. Yeah. He was already bored with Purple Rain. <laughs> I think if it was given the proper timing, it would have probably been received, not better. I think people still look at it, but it just didn't come out of the gate right. You know? lost. There was a consistent fight with his label about him oversaturating the market. The thing about Prince, that, that, since I started so early with him, is the hairstyle would change the whole thing. He was already moving into the hairstyle for Raspberry Beret. He hated his hair on Around the World in a Day. So the whole thing was, the album was done and he wanted to play more and more of that songs live and that translated to the marketing campaign, which was, they'll find it. It's just going to appear. I'm not going to do any videos or any singles. And he really thought that people would be done with Purple Rain. But as we know now, they're not done with Purple Rain. <laughs> you know, he wanted, he was just moving so fast, you know, it's like it's next, next, next. But Purple Rain is something that people want to examine for centuries now and look back and everything. And he didn't, wasn't very good at looking back. But around the world today, it comes from an experience. I think that we enlightened him a little bit more about the Beatles and some other of the 60s stuff. He got fascinated with that period of time and brought some world instruments in there. It just, it, 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 it was it was changing. It was really fun. I think he was talked into doing the video for Raspberry Beret. He said to me that video, he said, I hate my hair. I look like Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, the Hulk? Wow. Yeah, I've got the Hulk's hair. They kind of did. Yeah, the bangs. He hated the bangs. He's like, that's the worst mistake ever. Despite these influences and very healthy sales, the album was regarded as a disappointment after the revelation of Purple Rain. It was evoking an era where he hadn't been and he didn't do it as well enough as the people who'd been there to begin with. I think that's the safest thing to say. So thank God for Raspberry Beret, which was good and was a hit. So the following year, we've got Around the World in a Day. It did manage to go double platinum, it, but Prince almost was anti-commercial. It almost feels like Around the World in a Day was his in Euro, where he was trying to maybe shake off people. Maybe he's a little freaked out by how people were reacting to Purple Rain. And so he decided to go into Psychedelica. He decided to get a Liza Minnelli haircut. He's running around in the pajamas with the clouds on them. It's definitely a different scene. Uh, do you remember Around the World in a Day much, Fix It? No, I don't I don't remember this at all. I remember the song, but not, not that album. Yeah, I definitely remember remember the video so maybe it was another one of those Friday night videos or something but I remember seeing that video in the time period because visually the crowd and the outfit it definitely stood apart the album is Around the World in a Day but the big single off of it was Raspberry Beret I don't know I like this song I just didn't realize it was off that one album I always thought this was off of Purple Rain for some reason I think because they were still releasing singles off Purple Rain right when the, the other album had, had dropped already I think Raspberry so are we talking about Raspberry Beret right yeah. now are we talking about I like this song there is one song Super, what is the weird? Oh shit, my phone just died, so I can't pull up the lyrics. Where she was saying that, where he says that she's. Damn it, what are the fucking lyrics of this song? Hold on, time out. Let me get the lyrics, because there are two lines in that song that crack me up. It wouldn't be uh, Overcast Days Never Turn Me On, but something about the clouds in her midst. Oh, that's I a was, good line. I like that line, though, yeah. Mm, it is. It's a very fun song. It's nice, it's light. Some of the stuff on Purple Rain could be a little on the edgy, so this one's kind of like a nice, soft breather, it feels like. I'm reading the whole fucking song. I'm Funny, yeah. Oh, this is frustrating. Uh, maybe a suggestion. Is it possible you're actually thinking?
Ebon lyrics from Little Red Corvette because I swear to you, I love both of the songs, but I will forever confuse elements of those songs because they're so similar in terms of their lyrical quality and what they're actually singing about. They're, they're, it's basically a rewrite of Little Red Corvette. It's, it's the same song, but told in a different way, it seems like. And so I, I will just forever confuse those two songs. I can't help it. No, I don't think so. Hold on. Let me j- just give me a second. Give me just You talk, talk amongst yourselves, young men. I'll throw out that Prince apparently hated the Beatles, and so it was odd that he not only did an album of Psychedelica, it was a little bit of a concept album, and wore outfits that were not dissimilar from the sort of things you'd see in Sgt. Pepper's, but even the album cover recalled Sgt. Pepper's, but apparently that was not an intentional influence, he did not like that group at all. But again, he did double albums, he did concept albums, unlike the Beatles who pretended to be different bands, he actually formed different bands that he toured with, so a lot of parallels there. Okay, so it, it's, it's the, no, it, I was right. It's from Rev Burberry, where she says, she built like she was. She had the nerve to ask me if I plan to do her any harm. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Was she like jacked? Is she like 6'3? I think she's. What do you mean built like she was? No, I think huh? she's heavy. You know? she, it, she's a big old girl? She is. Because overcast days never turn me on, but something about the cloud, clouds in her mitts. She, it, what he's saying is overweight girls never turn him on, but something about her tits, something about her ass, something about how she carried it still turned him on. Oh, very nice. And then the other one was... And of course, Where he's a very slight frame, so, you know, a big, big gal. That, that's what I meant. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if it... Was it a diss on himself, or was it a diss on her? Like, what was he trying to say? It's or was it... It's not a diss at all, I guess. I would have to say the Raspberry Beret is the more overtly misogynistic, because he is very critical of her in a, in a way that he's not so much on the Red Corvette, but I still feel like he's singing sing about the same role in the same time period. And in fact, I like Raspberry Beret far more than anything else on his album. And if I recall correctly, it was actually done back around 82. A lot of the choice cuts from the later albums were still from that fertile period between 82 and 85. And this was one of them. It got tweaked. They changed the instrumentation, but the bass of the song were already there around the same time as Little Red Corvette. So then the other line was when she said, he says, she wasn't too bright, but I could tell when she kissed me, she knew how to get her kicks. And I'm like, dude, this is, you can tell she wasn't too bright. Right? That's like, rough. I was that's like, that's, that's rough. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a catchy tune, but those two lines in there, it kind of like snaps me out of the song for a second. I'm like, what the hell? Damn, dude. Yeah. 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 So uh, this album, but. a lot of people, like critics of the time period, praised the album because it was such a departure. He was so daring to go in this direction. I think this album is shit. I don't like it at all. Oh. I don't like that any of the other singles. Paisley Park, Hop Life is okay, I guess. America. I, this, I am sorry. I, I don't like the album art. I don't like the direction. I don't like any of this shit from around the world in 80 days. It was something of a palate cleanser, I think, for Prince. He didn't really want to promote it. He insisted on not putting out any singles, and he just wanted and the CDs had to be configured where they didn't have tracks. It was all one album, because he wanted to control how you listen to it, and he wanted you to hear the whole thing. But because the sales petered out pretty quickly, he did finally relent, and that's how you ended up with Raspberry Beret as the one major single off of the album, because he needed to boost the sales a little bit more. Interesting. Yeah, I'm with Fix It. I just kind of assumed this was off Purple Ram. Prince returned to the silver screen the following year with Under the Cherry Moon, which he also directed. Unlike Purple Rain, however, the film was dismissed by critics and ignored by audiences and failed to break even at the box office. Yet with its soundtrack album Parade, Prince returned to his funk roots on several tracks, and although the record again showed a decline in sales, the single Kiss would supply him with yet another US number one. 
We were over in France for just endless periods of time, just recording when he had a moment, rehearsing when he had a moment. He was really involved in Under the Cherry Moon. Being in France, obviously songs like Under the Cherry Moon have a European, you know, he... he or Do You Lie? He was, yeah, he was culturally taken by it, Europe, and the movie reflected it. I think Parade, as far as, like, experimentation, and Sign of the Times are two of his most revered with critics and with other musicians obviously purple rain was the pinnacle of his i'm a pop star and these are masterpiece pop songs but afterward the roots started going in all these different areas and he was trying to cherry pick all these different elements of himself to explore i had been in all those bands with him and he was starting to become after being a superstar all those years kind of like you know i kind of want to do this myself again you know i was kind of getting the sense we had become such a huge part of him is everyday life that he may have well we don't know that he was kind of growing a little tired of it mm -hmm. and it, we're a lot we're a handful we weren't just side men you know we were the revolution and we opened our mouths often you know i knew something shifted our last night at uh, yokohama stadium he started calling a whole bunch of different people on stage with us while we were playing do you remember that mm -hmm. uh, he hadn't done that before and we knew him and i knew him so well and there wasn't a lot of he wasn't looking at us i could feel it and then we played purple rain and he destroyed the guitar more than one he destroyed it and i looked at bobby and i went it's over, it's over. Yeah. i looked at lisa over. There was trouble in paradise before this, so they had already, Wendy and Lisa kind of had enough in Minneapolis at one point, so I had to go to the airport to, to convince them. So with Prince, it's like he knew he had to go to Japan, we knew he had to do this, but, you know, I knew kind of, we all knew something was going on, and kind of... They didn't like anybody to leave him. I was gone a year prior. I had quit before the parade tour. That's right. They didn't know that. You know, he wouldn't let me tell them. And, um, but I had had enough way back then, you know, because things were changing so rapidly. You know, there was a lot of internal stuff going on, and I decided to move on and, you know, went under contract and kept my mouth shut, and we went out. When he invited Lisa and I over to his rental in, in L.A., I knew it was coming. I, I just knew it. And I was, I was, I was bereft. I was horribly. I was like, what? Now? Why? But, you know, you can't swim upstream when someone's stunned. When someone's done, they're done. And you have to go, okay. Following that moment, it was years of him sending smoke signals for us to get back there. I don't want you guys around anymore. When are you coming back? Yeah, like, why aren't you coming <laughs> Why aren't you here? here? Why aren't they here? You know, it's just kind of like, it was always just kind of... He asked me to play in uh, MPG with Matt. And I was like, didn't I just quit, dude? <laughs> Most of that record is geared as a soundtrack for the film. The song Kiss came about totally accidentally. I was doing a group called Maserati in one room at Sunset Sound, and he was in the other room completing that soundtrack record. And he gave us this song on acoustic guitar called Kiss, and we tried to turn it into something and sat up all night trying to figure out what to do with it. We made the track, and the next morning I came back about 9.30, and he had already come in, and I said, where's my tape? And he said, uh, eh, it's too good for you guys. I'm taking it back. So he had already put his voice on it. He already put his guitar on it. Bam. And then there was a bass part on it. Didn't You know, he removed a lot of the stuff that was on there. This was the first song that I was going to be credited other than just an engineer. And he also renamed me David Z, because that wasn't my name. I'm the first 
four records. So I, I was sort of speechless, but then I talked to uh, one of the people at Warner Brothers on the phone, and they said, oh, no, yeah, we're not putting that out. We don't like it. And I went, what? It's like, what? And they said, no, it sounds like a demo. There's no bass. There's no reverb. It sounds like a demo. It sounds like we did it in your basement. And I was devastated. And luckily enough, he, like I said, was successful. And he had enough power at the time to say, you put that out first, or I'm not giving you another single. And a year later, they were only trying to sign things that sound like that. So that tells you where the music's supposed to come from. I remember the first time I heard the song Kiss, really feeling that he had managed to recapture some of that sort of raw R&B emotion from some of his earlier music, and even going back to some of the stuff that he had written for the time. But at the same time, again, because he had by now mastered the commercial elements and knew how to be himself, but at the same time write hits, I just thought that that was a masterful song. The sparseness of it, the melodic elements of it, the soulfulness of the vocal, I thought that was a masterful song. The guitar on Kiss, the rhythm guitar, was gated through a gate to make it synchronized with the hi-hat and the drum machine. And nobody can play that. It's just a, it's an electronic trick. That, I mean, I'm just playing open chords and it's doing that rhythm. But, you know, we'd try everything and anything. It was very fun and very creative. And there's, when there's no rules like that, you don't have to do what somebody else did. Good evening. We're back. 1986's Parade, which was not just an album unto itself, but it was also the soundtrack album to his colossal failure of a movie, Under the Cherry Moon. That definitely got his huevos off of Purple Rain, and so he decided that he would direct the next movie after having creative differences with plan director Mary Lambert. Have either of you ever seen Under the Cherry Moon? No, sir. Never. Did you not even try? No. It played on Channel 13, one of the late movies, one night, and I tried to watch some of it, and I got maybe 10 minutes or so into it, and I just couldn't. This thing's in black and white. It's set in like the 1920s. It's in France. He's playing a gigolo who is trying to woo Kristen Scott Thomas in her first movie role as an heiress. It's wannabe tragic. It's wannabe comedic. It's mostly just incredibly tedious. But off of the soundtrack album, as a late addition, if I recall correctly, was Kiss. This was another song that I think was from the earlier days and got stripped down and reconfigured and turned into this major hit. It's another song that did not sound like anything else on the radio that Warner Brothers did not think that they had a single there. They didn't want to put it out as the first single. Prince convinced them and ended up being one of his biggest hits of all time. Kiss was number one on Billboard, number six in the UK. In 2016, it came back on uh, to 23. Rolling Stone rated it as the 464th best song of all time. Enemy rated it as their number four out of 150 songs of all time. The song was actually originally intended for one of Prince's many side projects, Maserati. He'd given it to them. They played with it. He liked what they did when they played with it, so he took it back from them and made it his own big hit. This album gave him two more Grammy nominations, and he won four Kiss. He'd also won Grammys, I think two Grammys, off of the Purple Rain soundtrack. So what do we think about Kiss? My favorite lyric is, girl, act your age, not your shoe size. Yeah, same was, here. Yeah, that was just fantastic. Yeah, that was great. What do you think of the video? Who's that who's playing with with him? Who's on the guitar the whole That's time? That's Wendy. It's one of the Wendy. members of the Revolution and one of the people who helped influence those albums. She seemed very uncomfortable. It, it was funny. Though, this was late in the, the life of the uh, Revolution. I, I think it's fun that she's sort of giving him shit over the course of the song. She definitely throws an attitude at him while he's going off and dancing with the veiled girl with very little on. I do not remember this video. I apologize. 
Yes, sir. What about the song, though? I don't remember the song. Sorry, I apologize. I remember that lyric as soon as Mr. Fix It said it. But I, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. I don't remember. I didn't. I couldn't remember. I could not memorize this many songs in basically a day. That's a great song. I really enjoy it. I mean, this is definitely a big time shower song for me. It's just such a fun one to, to sing to. I've done it a bunch of times while just killing time singing along with this one. And also, I don't know if you guys remember, but Tom Jones had a pretty big hit off of doing a cover of this one not too long afterwards. I think like a year or two later, he did that. Wait, did you say Tom Jones? Tom Jones. I think it was Art of Noise. They did like a techno dance cover of the song. Man, I hadn't heard the word, the name Tom Jones. Is he still alive? I believe. No, is he? I'm not sure, actually. I want to say I thought I heard he'd passed, but I'm not certain of that. If it did happen, it happened relatively recently. just see. No, he's still around. Okay. How old is he now? 78. Not as old as I thought he was, but <laughs> hey, good for him. Yeah, I really thought that you guys would have more to say about Kiss. Okay. Sorry, dude. It was, it was, the, you should have put it, you should have front-loaded some of your more favorite songs. Well, no, he's, he's not actually one of my, I like Kiss, I like singing Kiss, but it's not really one of my favorite Prince songs. It's just a, a it's one of the ones I have the easiest time remembering, and it's one where, I'm not going to say it's in my vocal range, but I'm more comfortable trying to sing along to that song than in a lot of other Prince songs. Sing it right now for us. No. Whoa. Can you hear that? Can you hear that when I play not, that? Not, can you hear it. Are you listening Let me listen to it? Give me like 45 seconds of listening. Okay. Oh, shit. Fucking Kiss. Yeah, I know this song. What do I know this song from? This song has appeared in so many different places. That's why I was so like, how could you not know Kiss? Because it, it, it's on so many soundtracks. It showed up on so many shows. This is just one of the go-to Kiss songs. You know what? I actually don't know this video. It throws me off because I never think this is from 86. I, I don't know if it had a revival or if I just misremember. But I always remember this one later on, like closer to like 89 or so. It just weirds me out to think this was from 86. Did George Michael cover this song or some shit? I don't think so. Mm. Internet say. I mean, that, that opening uh, guitar riff is pretty iconic. That... Let's see. Show me who covered this song. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. This song has been... Uh, holy shit. This song has been covered like at least three times a year since it came out. Kelly Clarkson just fucking did it in 2017. Good Lord. Yeah, this isn't... Uh, this might be why this song is so familiar because everybody on Earth has covered this song at some point. Good Lord. This is crazy. Okay, uh, then I apologize. This song... I, I'm not recognizing any of these, uh, these artists. So I just know the Prince version. Yes, I know this song. It's a great song. So other singles off Parade included Mountains, which I think Ryan Daly is fond of. That one reached 23 in the US, 45 in the UK. I did not include it on the playlist because I don't fucking like it. Uh, nope. That's the one where he's got the gigantic black hat and he's like floating in space with the various band members and there's all these animations in the mix. I, I just don't care for it, but I, what I do want to give him respect for though, this dude worked his glutes like a madman in that time period. This dude was so fucking cut. He was like Bruce Lee levels of firmness and the fact that he could wear an outfit that feminine and still come off as even remotely masculine is a credit to the man. I think he looked like watching the videos I think he's physically he looks incredible athletic. Like it's almost like watching a gymnast or something but I think it's a lame ass song. What I included on the playlist was Girls and Boys which is a much less well known song. I don't think it ever got a US release. It was only reached 11 in the UK and I think one of the members of the band pointed out that he really didn't feel like Mountains was the second single off Parade that putting Mountains out there hurt the album in general and they would have been better off with Girls and Boys and I can't help but agree. I think it's easily the best song after Kiss on the album. And also a pretty cool video because as we talked about Prince is at peak hand dancing on this one but he's also got some really cool moves that are distinctly his. I've never seen anybody move in the way that he's moving over the course of this video. I'm willing to bet that neither one of you guys had ever watched or heard Girls and Boys before it ended up on this playlist. What did you guys think about it? I absolutely hate it. <laughs> absolutely fucking I had a it. feeling you might but please elaborate on that. It's just a shitty song. It's a 
shitty video. Uh, I take this as maybe a palate cleanser for him because this is just garbage. The song is horrible. Whatever that fucking, I don't know. This is garbage. I've listened to it right now. This is my second time re-listening to it, and it's just nothing redeemable for me about the song. It's the saxophone. It's the saxophone. I I always wonder. I thought you were fucking with me. Did you pick the song? It's like you got all this sexy energy building up, and then he whips it out, and it's Peter. It's horrible. Uh, What about you, Matt? For me, it's the saxophone that takes me out of it because it reminds me of the fucking Sanford and something. I keep expecting it to go into you know, and I'm, it's just it's very weird. This video is bizarre too. Uh, MIA ha- sampled that rhythm for URAQT, and it actually plays pretty well as a rap song, hip hop. I guess it's just so different from everything else. I don't know. Like for me, I was like, okay, this song's different, and then it goes. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Like a was like a bass sax or some shit? Like what the hell was that? And then basically the the saxophone took me out of uh, every uh, second of the song. And uh, uh, the third single in the U.S. was Another Lover Hole in Your Head. Fixin', have you ever heard that one? No. That one's okay, too. It managed to hit 63 in the U.S., 36 in the U.K. But uh, this was another one where critics seemed to like Parade okay. But Chuck D. pointed out that this particular album, Parade, seemed to turn off a lot of the black followers, and he couldn't understand it. People don't want artists to endlessly repeat themselves. They can't tolerate change either. Prince changes all the time, always working on the public's imagination and always trying to keep ahead of them. I respect Chuck D's opinion, but again, I think this album overall is shit. Prince fans really love the closing track, Sometimes It Snows in April, which is a hymn devoted to the character he plays in Under the Cherry Moon, which I think is just absolutely narcissistic track. I think the album overall has got way too many 20s and 30s influences, mostly 20s influences, that I don't think Prince pulls off. There is some Frenchiness to it that people seem to respond to. I really don't like this album at all, and I, I pretty much, uh, the two tracks, two to three singles that I, I pointed out that are okay, the rest of the album you could pretty much pitch as far as I'm concerned um, and again one of the reasons why we end on this note is because this is 86 and we're not too far out from Batman which was seen as a comeback for print and when you think about how big Purple Rain was you're like well, what was he coming back from well you guys just heard what he was coming back from so what did you guys think about the playlist overall though I enjoyed it and even that song even the was it Girls and Boys that was the name of the song with mm-hmm. the, the weird sax beat in it yeah. so like that was one of my more least favorite songs in the playlist but even then it wasn't like a skipper like i didn't have to skip it and uh, i sort of found that i i enjoyed this playlist and i'll probably go back and play it again when when i'm in the mood because I, I i really enjoyed a lot of this stuff and again this was sort of my first deeper dive into prince music and i i thoroughly enjoyed it's not like so we we, we have a few of these memorial one song eaches and like i said with with tom petty it was like holy shit i didn't realize i liked this much tom petty music and i knew this many songs of his like i, I could like yeah i know that song oh and i know that song too and and i was like i like all these songs uh and then with the George Michael one, it was like, I don't know that song. I've never heard this song. I don't like this song. And it turned out like, hey, I don't think I liked George Michael's career. I liked a couple <laughs> of his, his singles and that was it. And then with Prince, is sort of different because I just, I'd never heard Prince is like in the zeitgeist, as they say. But I don't know. It, you know, like I watched when I had, when I watched MTV, it was 120 minutes. Prince didn't get paid on 120, you know, didn't get played on 120 minutes very often or, or had bangers ball. Right. So I, I just, he just didn't flow into my circles, especially and in conjunction with my age group too, outside of Batman. Right, that that was Batman was the big oh Prince oh Prince is a thing right so and you were saying that was the rebound right so or, or that was his comeback one so, of well, his the comebacks come, yeah one of the right I just was never exposed like I'd listen to alternative stations you know what I'm saying uh, nobody I knew had Prince music AKA they were like lame white people as we tend to be so uh, I I just didn't get exposed enough of this stuff I I never thought that I wouldn't like it and I really I, I, wasn't I never sure honestly I, I was my concern was we were gonna go into this and you were gonna fucking hate it and I. I was like, okay, well, 
that'll give us. The, I, I figured me and Fix It would be able to come to the defense if we needed to, but I really wasn't sure how you were going to approach us, and I, I'm I'm relieved to hear that you enjoyed it. Well, and, and like you said, his catalog is insane. It's huge, and I, and I like uh, as somebody who's like, oh, I kind of want to get into Prince. Like, how do you dip your toe? It, it's sort of like the deep end. It's like you you, you don't start out with Prince because Prince is the deep end. Like, I wouldn't even I would get lost. I, w- I wouldn't really know to start. So this this playlist was great. It was a great way for me to kind of just get introduced to some of the stuff, and I can pick out. Oh, I really like these three tracks, and that's from this Prince era. And maybe I can kind of just start listening to those albums from start to finish and see if I can find some more that I like. But no, I, I, I thought the place as a whole was great. I, I, bravo, Diablo Frank. Thank you. And uh, going into this too, what was your perception of Prince? So he was sort of like the I don't know how to I'm trying to find the rock the rock and roll equivalent where you know you know it's like the Beatles were the Beatles, and then I don't know if the Rolling Stones were sort of like the bad Beatles. Right. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if Michael Jackson was Michael Jackson, but Prince was sort of like the taboo uh, uh, the, the the dark version the, the the rock and roll rough sexed up version of that yeah or, or, or like the more adult version you know what I mean literally like we're you know it's bad and thriller but those are still sort of you know oh he's bad like whatever you know what I mean whereas the stuff well, we're listening to and, and, I'm glad you mentioned do <laughs> you, you know the story of that uh maybe Michael Jackson wrote that song as a duet with Prince. Really? Yeah, and he approached Prince with it, and Prince said, okay, well, the first line of this song is, your butt is mine. Now, you're not going to sing that to me, and I'm sure not going to sing that to you, so we've got a problem here. And Prince refused (laughs) to do the duet with him. And he also pointed out that if you watch the video, he would be in the Wesley Snipes role, and no way was Prince going to be in the Wesley Snipes role. So so that's how that came about, is there's supposed to be a duet between the two of them, and Prince is like, nah. So I, yeah, I did not know that. But yeah, but so that's kind of what he was, but he was always sort of like I don't know it's kind of weird to describe where it's you know Michael Jackson really was the mainstream he, he was the coke to Prince's Pepsi you know what I'm saying it's like it's not that he's not known he's Prince is very well known but maybe never caught on quite uh, he's the Warner Brothers to the Mickey Mouse Disney you know what I'm saying Prince is coke and he's Jack and Coke sure wait what Jack and, <laughs> well, no Prince would be Jack and Coke that's what I'm saying oh sorry I did say it the wrong way Michael Jackson yeah. is Coca-Cola Prince is Jack and Coke yeah, should we say Michael Jackson Jackson Coca-Cola, he's got some weird stories about his Coke cans. Oh, <laughs> well, we I was thinking need... it was Pepsi that burnt the man, so, you know, I can Well, see. but the Jesus juice is what got him in a lot of trouble, so we're, we're not, we don't need to talk about that. But, um... Yeah, it's funny because uh, Prince was the raunchy one, the one that got uh, blacklisted by fucking Tipper Gore, and it ends up the one he had to watch out for was Michael Jackson. Allegedly, yes. But yeah, yeah, so, so that, that was my sort of observance of Prince, that I knew he was there, I knew he, that like, if, if you liked Prince, like, you probably knew your music right and, and stuff like that but I never had found a, a, an entry point so this was a good one for me and also Charlie Murphy and you know yeah of course yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mr. Fixit how did you like this period of Prince how did you like the playlist in general um, no it was really good good job I mean I know most of these songs you picked maybe one or two that I'd never heard of that I wasn't a huge fan of um, I just finished listening to Mountain and yeah that song, that song was shit too so <laughs> I agree with you on that as a long time Prince fan I mean these songs are ingrained in you so how do you rate this period versus other Prince periods. Is this your favorite Prince period or did you like some later stuff better? Well, I, I remember one time you, you made a, to quote you, you said, everyone loves Prince, but Prince really was only great for like the Purple Rain album, but everybody kind of stretches it out. No, did I, I say might that? be a little misquote 
note there, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I I think he's had several great albums. I just think that maybe some of his later periods don't get the attention they deserve, and then some of this again parade and around the world in a day. It's like get the fuck out of here with that shit. But I do think that Purple Rain is the iconic Prince. Like if if you ask me to picture Prince in their mind, that's probably the period that the majority of the people are going to imagine. Right on. I would agree right with that. On. Yeah, I mean, he did a really good job of mixing it up a little bit. I mean, we're we're not to the Batman phase yet, so for the most part, I enjoyed it. I thought you good job. Maybe we'll do this again next year. And go a little further into the catalog. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me do some. Uh, I, I can do further research now and maybe point out some some uh, some B sides that I like. I think that's Alrighty. an episode. Alrighty. <laughs> that was loud. My. <laughs> Sorry, dude. All right, this has been another hashtag. So one song each. On Facebook, we got a digit from Debate and Michael Wagner. Our hot singles chart includes One and Eight Sage, A Brian, Doctor Ange, Pat Shapira, Bone Dragon Comics, Chris and Fat Books for Beginners, The Cinnabud Podcast, Dano Cosmic, G A Sanchez, The Hoopers, Ice in the Face, Into the Weird, I Was Joe Crawford, Jeffrey Brown, Justin's First Dawn, Keith G Baker, Ken Stark, Christados, Long Box Crusade, Long Box. Of Darkness, Odell Abner Dracula, Olivia Balafica, Randy Caldwell, Ryan Daly, Sean Michael Ortega, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Tim Price, Rucker Talk, Wonder Woman Warrior for Beast Podcast, and Zach Sally. Ryan Daly noted, screaming in at my iPhone in the car. No, no, the saxophone song isn't in excess. It's not Echo or Cry Little Sister. It's I Still Believe. Gah! on breaks to avoid collision. Kichi Baker agrees that the Rollspine Podcast tagline should be Illegal Machines Reply. If you're not screaming, in your car and nearly crashing? Frankly, we aren't doing our jobs. John Ross wrote, Cry Little Sister is a top five I can't get this out of my head song. And finally, Randy Caldwell wrote, I had forgotten about Kid Frost and La Raza. I used to love that song. I bought it and I'll probably get the album before too long. One song each is a rolled spine podcast. This is a not-for-profit fan production. Any copyrighted materials used is believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended. Please leave your comments and criticisms on our website. We especially encourage participation on this show. Feel free to call in and leave a request. Maybe you'll even get featured on the show. We thank you for your rapt attention. Extra time and your kiss.